Have you ever thought about that while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb? I did. I actually bought two homes in Albuquerque that I Airbnb'd, and it was just an amazing investment, honestly, because, you know, as you are accruing value in your property, you are also making money on the Airbnbs. It's amazing. So your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila is a must-have. It's an award-winning tequila. It's infused with real juice, with real fruit, which means the flavors are built in. It's real. So you need like two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Hey, um, you know how I'm always trying to keep my house parties exciting? New cocktails? <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay, well, here's something that's going to flip the script. Okay. All right. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about this, right. Oliver Hudson. Yeah, 21 Seeds is an award-winning tequila that's infused with juice from real fruits. You only need two to three ingredients to make the perfect cocktail. Wait a minute. I think I know what brand you're talking about. You know why? Yeah. Because 21 Seeds is founded by two sisters and their friend. It's female founded. That's right. See? Sounds See like how I know? Something I can get behind. I know. Well, there's a good story behind that for sure. Listen, if you love tequila... You have to try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds Diageo, New York, New York. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And my name is Oliver Hudson. We wanted to do something that highlighted our relationship. And what it's like to be siblings. We are a sibling rivalry. No, no. Sibling rivalry. Don't do that with your mouth. <laughs> sibling rivalry. That's good. So I loved meeting the Berbiglias, Mike and Joe. Berbiglia. Berbiglia. Um, I wonder if that everyone, is how you every, everyone we we interview on on, on sibling is Italian. Is, is Italian. Everyone's I Italian. I don't understand. We're all weirdly Italian. Is this like? <laughs> I don't know. They were Mike and Joe, just awesome. you know, brothers who work together too, which can be tricky, but they seem to have figured out how to navigate it. We've also interviewed a lot of siblings that work together, and it seems to be more common than not. It was fun watching them too on the screens, you know, because. You know, you've got the artist that you can just look at and tell, and then you almost have the investment banker-looking guy yeah. who, you know, has the suit on or the thing, and, and and he deals with the business aspect of things. Yeah. Although he's yeah. an amazingly funny writer as well. Yeah, you could tell. You know, he, he's definitely very witty, you know, Joe. You, yeah. I mean, he wrote satire. That's like what he did in school. Yeah. Joe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike ended up being the stand-up comedian, but Joe, I mean, you know, he saw the world clearly at a young age 
as a satire. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so they seem like a really good match, even though he's a little more linear and has more structure. But I I really enjoyed learning about their life. They both interned for Conan. We, we had a love fest on Conan for a bit. Um, they grew up in Massachusetts, four siblings, and Mike's podcast uh, is called Working It Out. I'm sure some people have heard it. If not, it's it's really great. He's great. And uh, and yeah, they've worked and together a for worker, over a they're decade. They're just worker bees too. They're prolific. You know, they're just constantly planning. You know, that, that that's what was interesting too about Mike and Joe. Right, right. They're planning for the future. It's like they have things. They invited us to something. You know, like a year and a half out. Remember at the <laughs> I end? At the end. Like, hey, at by the way, I'm going to put like, you on hey, the list. Listen, in 2024, we're going to be <laughs> in, uh, and I'm like, oh, great. I'm like, 2020? I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> 2024? Uh, uh, no, Mike, like... I'm kidding. It's it's 2023. But, but uh, he gets <laughs> the really He's a comedian. He knows he's, the embellishment has to be there to make the joke better. <laughs> we live for embellishment. <laughs> I also, you yeah. know what I loved about this? And I, I just, you know, he, he talked about his wife, that she's a poet. And I kind of got this visual of them just being like this super creative team that really like enjoys living in that space and doesn't really care to be in any way linear. And it was so mm-hmm. nice that Joe, you know, how how Joe kind of talked about how he is a part of the marriage. <laughs> right. <laughs> because he's right. that he's the more linear, you know. Uh but I I really loved hearing that. So it kind of made me I hope I get to meet her one day too. Um But yeah, yeah. I mean, enjoy Mike enjoy. and you guys Joe. Enjoy dig it. Berbiglia. Berbiglia. Guys, I'm so happy. I was reading up on everything. I was like, you guys sound like a lot of fun. <laughs> Weird. And your parents sound like really interesting. I mean, I it definitely, at least from the research we did, informs a lot of how you guys, I think, ended up doing what you're doing. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, my parents are shocked uh, that, you know, my dad's a doctor. Our dad's a doctor. Our mom's a nurse and both retired and uh were completely shocked that <laughs> i wanted to be a comedian i'm five i'm about five years younger than joe joe sort of ran interference with my parents so that they wouldn't disown me yeah in the period between when i was age 18 <laughs> and about 24. Was, he was like a distraction and, like a lure like look over here look over here and don't <laughs> yeah. look at my brother <laughs> Don't look at my brother. Don't look at my brother. And I mean, honestly, that was a lot of the dynamic because my, my, I mean, my dad, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. I think at certain points was pretty mad that I was going to become a comedian. He was, it was, he was frustrated. Um, He kept kind of framing it with me that it it was setting a good groundwork for a career in advertising or some other like <laughs> norm, yeah. a normal job, right? right? So I had to sit our dad down and say to him, you know, Mike's got some momentum here in his early 20s. <laughs> you know, I realize he makes $100 a week, but he's one of the more successful 22, 23-year-old comedians. And my dad is very practical. And I said, let's look at the income of the top performing 30-year-old and 40-year-old and 50-year-old comedians. Like, why don't you want to go with this? Oh my <laughs> Have God. some patience. <laughs> So it's, um, you know. where where are you guys now? 
So um, I'm in New York. Joe is in Rhode Island. And we we work together full time with an office in Brooklyn and an office in Rhode Island, which is hilarious because that was pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. So we've been doing remote forever. Oh, I wow. mean, we basically okay. we produce everything we do, my theater shows, my specials, my movies, like soup to nuts, basically. In, in these offices. And we've oh, been working wow. together for we've been working together for 15 years. Mike is sort of the nutty one who told me to quit my corporate job, my grown-up job and come join him at the circus. And so it's been working. Well, well get years. into that. Get into that for a second. <laughs> get into that. So your brother was like, "Hey, bud, like fuck stability, okay? Come yeah. over here and and just let and let's let's find some anxiety." I mean, what what how did that work out? How did you talk him into this? Well, Joe, Joe actually knows his story better than I do because he told it to me recently. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is how it happened. <laughs> mm. Joe, what was that? It was in Indianapolis, right? Absolutely. So <laughs> what had happened is I, Mike and I both have a real love of comedy writing and comedy, but Mike has a real performance background. He really was into that in college. At, I'm, de I'm delusional. I'm delusional, delusional. yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Sounds about I had a real writing background and um, as comedy writing uh, print for print and silly satirical magazines and things. And so when I was in New York and unable to land a spot writing for Letterman or Conan, like if you don't get one of these 25 jobs in New York City, you still have to pay your rent. Mm -hmm. So I was, I'm the more sensible brother. I went and worked as a copywriter, like my dad would have liked. And also I, I worked as a writer at Pfizer, writing speeches, inventing vaccines, things like this. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? So no. I'm no, really no, gullible. No. I believe I'll believe anything. No, but I but I was writing about Lipitor and Viagra and speeches and sales, you know, sales messages, things like mm -hmm. this. While Some Mike of my while, favorite drugs. While Mike <laughs> while Mike was developing, you know, performing more and more and picking up some steam. And finally, he said to me, I, I would coordinate my Pfizer trips to meet with sales reps with his tour schedule. So he had to play in Indianapolis. I would book us. I would book the meeting to join the group, the sales group in Indianapolis. Fly in, meet him at the club. We look at look watch the set together, or I'd watch his set. And finally, he said we, he took me to lunch and he said, Joe, I need you to quit your pretty lucrative job at <laughs> Pfizer and come work for me. And uh, this is so, true. <laughs> and at the time, like in hindsight, it's like, oh, that was completely. Lo complete lunacy and not going to work. But at the same time, you know, I believed in Mike. My wife was was on board. I talked her into it. And uh, yeah, yeah we've did, been working did you have to, did, be making did you have to like so negotiate a salary? Right, right. Did you have to negotiate a salary? Like, Mike, <laughs> what, what are you going to pay me? And do I get a percentage of your business? Like, how do you, you know what I mean? Yeah, let's revisit that right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's. There's this, this, this siblings, sibling revelry can be part of the negotiation. Um, That's right. Or the the contract is up. Part of it was that honestly, I got. I think I. Get, I'm not going to say what it was, but I got like a regional, uh, like advertising commercial campaign that had like a lump sum amount of money that was like enough where I'm like, I can pay you for a year mm -hmm. with this lump sum yeah. thing, and it was. Maybe not something I would have done, and certainly not something I would do now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Okay, so where did you guys grow up? We grew up in Shrewsbury, Mass., which is outside of Worcester, Worcester which is Worcester to all the people who, who are from Worcester. there. Worcester. Worcester. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, 
Joe, what's funny is Joe, Joe took me to a comedy show when I was 16, took me to see Stephen Wright at the Cape Cod Melody Tent, which believe it or not, is, well, it's where my parents live and in Cape Cod and, uh, and it's where I'm performing there <laughs> later this summer, like That's in right. August. I'm performing at the Melody Tent where I saw Stephen Wright, but I had this thing where Joe was like, you got to see this guy, Stephen Wright. He's, you know, he's this one-liner comedian, really cerebral thoughts. Like he's really far out. He's something of a comedy legend. And we, and we saw him in front of, you know, a thousand, two thousand people. And I, I really experienced it as an epiphany, like <clears throat> in this way that nothing in my life has been an epiphany moment the way that was. Cause I, I, I often find like when people say they have an epiphany, I'm just like, I'm just like yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, like I always say, like I, there's never a moment. It's almost like a, always like a series of moments that you congeal in your brain as a single moment, but there never actually is a moment. But that actually was a moment. That was like a mm. holy cow! This guy Stephen Wright, like he's doing exactly what I would like to do. And I started jotting jokes in mm. my notebook, and I would bounce stuff off Joe. And then when I was at Georgetown, I I entered this competition, like the funniest person on campus contest, when I was a sophomore, and then I won, and then I ended up <laughs> like working at the door of this comedy club for four years. How cool! You went to wow. George. Our brother went to Georgetown. Oh my god! I feel like I remember that because I remember there being murmurings of your dad being at graduation, <laughs> like like that. <clears throat> when you grow up in a place like Shrewsbury, first of all, when you grow up in a place like Shrewsbury, no one is famous ever. You've never met. <laughs> Anyone famous. The most famous person you will ever meet is like Chet Curtis from the news. From like Channel 5 News. You're like, oh my God, Chet Curtis is here from CVB Boston. Yeah. That would be a huge deal. Yeah. And then and then you go, you know, you go to college and you're like, Kurt Russell was at the graduation. And you go like, what the fuck? Are you serious? Like the actual guy? You're like, yeah, yeah, the actual fucking guy, you know? What were you going to Georgetown for? <laughs> That's what our dad wanted to know. <laughs> right. The uh for write for for writing in English. I mean, I I I was a writer since I was a kid. And and I actually didn't think I was going to perform, but it was only when I went to Georgetown, I was trying to write sketch comedy. A sketch comedy group didn't exist. And so I so there was a stand up comedy competition and I entered and then I was like, oh, OK, yeah, yeah, th I'm pretty good at this. Did you find that when you first got up there that you didn't know what the hell you were doing, like that it was more of like a stream of consciousness versus actually writing a joke? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the it was it was I mean, it was garbage in hindsight. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd say the first year or two of what I was doing was you know, jotting down a series of observations uh, uh, and, and thoughts, and then in real time on stage, realizing they're not working and then doing something else. Mm. And, 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 and so, and, and then over time you start to realize, oh yeah, okay. So the, the writing process is more, uh, uh, you know, it w works better like this. And, and, uh, and I would just start to write like setups and punchlines like I remember like the first joke I ever wrote that actually made it into something like filmed was like I wrote a joke I was living with my girlfriend in college and I said I wrote this joke which was very premature of me to write this joke I said I'm living with my girlfriend and um <clears throat> I go she's getting to the age where she's thinking about having kids which is exciting because we're gonna have to break up 
And I say, I, I don't want to. I don't want to have kids until I'm sure that nothing else good can happen in my life. <laughs> of course, I wrote that when I was 20. I mean, it's so silly. It's a good. Like, it's a great joke, though. Thanks. I mean, it's ahead of its time in a sense. Like you were, you yeah. were, you were, you were projecting. I guess you know. I was projecting out, and then it made it into my my first movie, Sleepwalk with Me, and uh, yeah. it actually, it made it about 10 years. That joke. Yeah. But how? <laughs> but a, what was your very first joke that you wrote? It had to be when you were young. My, I remember a first, like one of the first jokes I ever wrote was like, you know, this is in the '90s. So, so I, I remember I go, uh, I was watching the show Politically Incorrect. It was from the mm-hmm. '90s with Bill Maher. Bill and I Maher. Go, oh my god! And, and 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 Slash, the musician, was talking about how there's too much violence on television. His name. <laughs> is slash <laughs> and, and that was the whole joke yeah and it's like That's a lot good. of stuff like that where it's like it's it, it's it's cute but there's not enough to to build an hour around That's oh right. my god yeah. how many siblings are there i'm youngest of four joe's next our sister patty's next and then our our sister gina is the oldest and she my sister gina is 11 years older than me and in a lot of ways was, a, you know, a huge seminal influence in my life because she also loves comedy and she was an assistant at HBO mm-hmm. when I moved to New York City. And so, like, she would just, like, when I, like, she would slip me, like, I don't know, VHS cassettes of, like, Mitch Hedberg comedy specials or David Tell comedy specials and things like that. And so it was really like I and I'm sure I'm sure you both find this, but it's like so much of what makes you who you are is your influences of your older siblings and what and what they put in front of you. And so if you you have a (laughs) no, (laughs) No, not so much. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, I would know nothing about hip hop if it wasn't for my brother. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we were a big hip hop. Oh, well, uh, no, I mean, look, I, I say this all the time, but Kate owes me her career. <laughs> you know, every, because, because of the way that I treated her, she had no choice but to fight and prove right. to the world right. and to me and to everyone that she was the shit and that she was going to out-succeed everyone and yeah. fucking yeah. crush it. Yeah. And, that might and be true. I am the reason. I am the reason for that. Yeah. So. Because were you discouraging? I wasn't discouraging. I was just an asshole. He was yes. everything. I, I was, he was, was discouraging my of my stuff. whole being. It was like I, I yeah, but but gave me. But it's funny because I'm looking at pictures. We always send each other pictures and stuff of when we're young, and everyone, I'm holding you and kissing you, and mm-hmm. you know, like maybe this is bullshit. Maybe I was really nice to you, and oh, I was terrible. just being a normal brother. Terrible, you know? but let's. This isn't about us. This is about you guys. And we have an analog. <laughs> we have an we have an analogous thing, though. Joe, I think Joe was very cruel to me when I was young. What you what your, like, what's your guys's age difference? He's five years older than me. Okay, so but you still have enough time. Five to seven years is also yeah. kind of tough because you want to be doing other things and you're sort of made to play with your younger brother. So when you're older, yes. you're like, oh, this is kind of. It could mm-hmm. go that way too. Yeah, Joe, what's up? Why were you, what, what did you I do mean, to this man? I would push back a little bit on the being cruel. I mean, I think I pushed my, <laughs> you know, you know how siblings are. And that's why I was, I, I was th- really excited to come on here because like my sibling relationships with Mike and with our sisters are, you know, really some of the most important relationships in my life. Uh, and I think are so important. But 
like the role of siblings often is to keep your siblings in check, right? Like their ego is getting too big, you pop it, you, you knock them down a peg. And mm-hmm. I, I did I'm that. Very with, fam- I'm very familiar with that. <laughs> so I did that with Mike. <laughs> but now our relationship has to change because um, we have the internet to keep, uh, you know, people's yeah, egos in check. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I was going to say, you know? now you have to build yeah. us back up. <laughs> exactly. The role has to change. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't need. Uh, doesn't need criticism. But what, what, go back though, you know, just home life in mass as kids, as siblings, yeah. what that doctor. whole world looked like. What does mom do? She was a, she's a retired nurse and, and, uh, and, and, you know, raised four, four kids. <laughs> so, yeah. so she was she raising was a, you guys, but she, when she was younger, before she had you, she was a nurse. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the advantage with being the third and fourth child is by the time your mom and dad get to you, they're a little exhausted. <laughs> just, yeah. So I don't think we had the toughest rules. They were just sort of like, you know, <laughs> I don't say we were free range children, but we could go play in the woods for four or five hours, come home for dinner kind of thing, build forts, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Would you say that, Mike? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like wandering in the cemetery <laughs> making fires in the yeah. woods that could have been a huge problem yeah. like isn't it interesting yeah. how we don't have that as much anymore oliver and i had a very mm-hmm. similar thing because we grew up in colorado there was so much freedom oh god and the amount of the amount of times that 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 shit goes wrong yes. and you have to figure it out yeah. and get home somehow. And, and that is so important. And I think that's lost, honestly, as that's Katie the, was saying. That's Gen X. Know. That's what we do. We know how to solve things, right? Yeah, I mm-hmm. I, I think that's so. What they say. Well, it's like the old school parents. Parents like, I used to walk six miles in the snow to get to the bus. When I, wa- I, wa- when I walk with my wife, I drive her crazy because I walk so fast mm-hmm. and I can't. And the reason I walk so fast is because as a child, <laughs> I walked to school. I walked home from school. I walked to the store. I, wa- I basically walk anywhere yeah. and it was just transportation. And so then you become an adult and you're like, oh shit, I have to like calibrate my walking to like what other, <laughs> how other adults walk. <laughs> they didn't used to walk everywhere as transportation. Yeah. That's so right. funny. I never thought of that. I'm a fast walker too. So you're Italian, right? You're Sicilian. We are. We are, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we could very well be related. You know, we're Sicilian. We're half Sicilian. Same. Same. We're Sicilian Same. also. That's what I was yeah. listening to your episode. You talked about that. Yeah, yeah. Was it a traditional Italian, like, bu- bu- uh, kind of New England Italian family? Or were you not very connected to the Italian roots? I was... I was just thinking about this yesterday, Joe. I, I did not run this by you, but oh, I, our, in our childhood, I won't name names, in our vicinity, in our yeah. neighborhood, there would be rumblings. I was writing this in my journal yesterday, which sure. is how the, the beginnings of how bits form is these crazy journal ramblings. Right. But I have like a lot of memories of people saying that, per, that person's dad is in jail he was in the mob or that person or that guy's in the mob or whatever. And no one fact checked it. It was just this thing that was sort of out there. And Joe, do you recall this as a kid? Like there were some underpinnings of some organized crime in the town. For sure. It was probably um, our mm-hmm. family. But, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> we could, we could be rivals, you know? Yeah. 
There's a lot of murmurings. There's a lot of murmurings. And then I but I think that most of it tied to Worcester. I think Worcester had a significant amount of uh, of uh, mafia. Kate, have you been to Sicily? I have. Have yeah, you? I have. I traveled there with my sister Patty when we when I was in college. Went to Palermo and Agrigento and we loved Where, it. What part oh, are God. you guys from? Lucky. Do you know? So th- yes, it's a town outside of Agrigento called uh, Brugio. And okay. I actually it's funny the Sicilians, they're often like swindled and there's, there's a lot of things happen. So we try, I spoke some Italian in college. I tried to call our relatives. I did call our relatives and uh, asked if we could come over. And it was just like a hard no. Like, but it's like, like, it was kind of like, they were really? very suspicious. Yeah, yeah. But we had a wonderful time in Agrigento and Palermo. I, I, I went there and I went to the beach Mm-hmm. And I saw a thousand Olivers and Speedos. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. I was yes. like, okay, well, there is my brother. There is my brother. That's what my mom always says about when she goes to when she's been to Ireland. She looks mm-hmm. around and she sees me. She's like, yes. oh, that's oh, Michael. Yeah. That's oh, Michael. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we're half Scottish and uh, slash Irish slash Scottish. As well. Yeah, I right. definitely put you in kilts. Definitely. When Joe was so when Joe was in college, he did a year abroad, and he is in Florence. And uh, so we took a family trip when I was in high school to Florence, Rome, and Venice. Mm -hmm. And I'd never been out of the country. (laughs) And I I couldn't have been less interested in being there. I was I was like I want to be back in high school. My life is in high school at the mall. in America at the mall, you know. <laughs> and I remember that I was so tired from the whole thing that we went to the uh, 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 Vatican City and the Sistine Chapel. And, yeah, and I um I'm not kidding. <laughs> I took a nap on the ground, and an oh Italian God. guard came over and had to wake me up and explain to me. That actually, you cannot take a nap <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> this is at the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. You know, I think, to me, that's a, that's in a nutshell what teenagers care about. You're at the Sistine Chapel. So yes. Take a nap on the floor. I was like, yeah. when I was a teenager in Europe, I was just trying to get into clubs. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's oh, what we God. did. My sister, my sister Gina, and I went uh, to a place in Florence when we were visiting Joe called Space Electronic Discoteca. Yeah, and at probably around three or four in the morning. This is why I was so tired at the this Sistine the Chapel. Um, and it was the nineties. Ace of Base was just kicking yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. It was Ace huge. And then of course we're doing all the dance moves from Pulp Fiction. It's the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh yeah, we won uh we won, you know, quote unquote, we won the dance contest at yeah. like three in the morning. You win all these contests. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're just a contest yeah, you're, winner. You're a contest winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I won. Is this a contest? Vic, Vic, yes. I think and guess what? Is winning. You're winning. No, You're yeah. winning. No, Tony Hawk and Jimmy Kimmel are winning. We're, uh, oh, distance, uh, Tony Hawk. Was, <laughs> that was so wonderful. Ollie. Jace. You're about to go top the Rockies. Oh, my God. Are you, are, can right, you like, about count the days? Three weeks. I have about three or three and a half weeks. And the Rockies will officially be tapped. Oh, <laughs> summertime, Colorado, Rockies, mm-hmm. Coors Light. It's all happening. <laughs> it's all happening. Can you drink Coors Light throughout the whole year? Of course. An amazing Coors Light on like a snowy day up in the mountains. Amazing. But mm-hmm. summer is coming 
It's time to mountain bike my ass off, have a cooler in the back of my truck filled with ice cold Coors Light with the mountains that have turned blue, that is with the beer that is made to chill. I mean, it doesn't get much better than this. My mouth is watering as I am reading this. It's, it's cold lagered, cold filtered, cold packaged, literally made to chill. I can't wait to drink. I can't wait to drink my Coors Light. And Coors Light, guys, this is what we choose when we need to unwind in the mountains. We hit that reset button and we reach for the beer that is made to chill. Mm-hmm. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Policy Genius. I, I love this. It's a place that makes it easy for you to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. So it gives you the opportunity to save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Um, you could save almost 1300 or more per year on your life insurance. And for me, I mean, I think these are the things that you don't learn in school. <laughs> you know, it's like you get <laughs> no, into the real world and they're like, do you have life insurance? And you're like, what? Um, and it, yeah. it's it's things like this that, that I think are really helpful to help you save money. This is sort of how it works. Okay. So getting started, it's super easy. You go to policygenius.com, right? Click, 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 click. You're in. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need, and then you can compare it to personalized quotes to find out the best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will then handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. It never sells you information to other companies. It never sells your information to other companies, and it doesn't add on extra fees. Yeah. Boom. That's, That's a it. good. Let's, let's, I also like this. No, doesn't add on extra fees. Thank, that's like no. a thank you. <laughs> yeah. My father-in-law is in the life insurance business, and he has explained to me how important it is yes. to get life insurance, and Policy Genius just makes it that much easier. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Okay, so your sisters, you've got an 11-year-older sister. So you guys are pretty pretty spread out. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of kids, a lot of I mean, I know what it's like to have kids that are really spaced apart. Was she kind of pulling her hair out a little bit? I don't remember my parents being around that much. They <laughs> <laughs> weren't around. Okay. No, okay. I mean, no, I mean I I think by Joe's saying Joe's saying this about by the time they, you know, Joe came around, they were tired. By the time I came around, I feel like they were just like, they clocked out of parenting. Like, and it, which actually was fine. I think yeah. it's good. But, um, you know, my mom, uh, you know, my mom is great. She was a, she's a great mom. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think that, I don't know. For me, it was, yeah, my mom was around a bit. Uh, my dad was was just at work, and my yeah. dad, in his free time when I was a, a teenager, uh, went and got his law degree. Yeah, even though he was already a doctor, 
And if, if, I, if, if anyone wants to know how to avoid their own children, it's uh, be a doctor full time and in your free time, get a law degree at night. Wow. What an overachiever. He yeah. really, that's pretty amazing. And that I mean, over, said, an over avoider of parents. Hold on. Hold on one second. That being said, Mike is very much his father's son, right? He's oh, uh, really? nonstop, always adding more things to his plate. Let's do this. Let's write a book. I remember Mike early on in his career was just like, they make it impossible to take a, to tape a sitcom and tour and do, like do a pile on the things because they make it impossible because it all happens in March and April. It's like, yeah, those are multiple <laughs> jobs. Like you can't. <laughs> there are only so many months. They make it impossible. <laughs> Oh wait! Oh, okay, now I need to know when's your birthdays. Oh, uh, June twentieth. And I'm okay. like you. I'm like Cancer. you. April 4th. I'm April. Uh, 4th. Oh, you're an Aries. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Oh, interesting. What was the sibling dynamic like? That it was. It was so spaced apart. You know. I mean, it was like one was leaving, and then the other one's sort of coming. And you know, did, was there cohesion there? Were there? Did, did were there? You know, were t- two closer than other? And how did that? How did that mm-hmm. whole dynamic work? Yeah, it's a close call. I mean, I one dynamic was that my my sister Gina was eleven years older than me, so in some ways she was like my second mom. Yeah, mini mom, like <clears throat> mini mom. And uh, and 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 then Patty, I don't know. I didn't see a lot of Patty when she was in high mm-hmm. school. Like she was off doing like student government things, and like she was an overachiever. And then, um, but then Joe. I feel like the dynamic with me and Joe is that Joe taught me how to do a lot of things. He taught me how to play soccer. He taught me, you know, how to write satire comedy, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And so I was always trying to follow in Joe's footsteps. And then what, how that sort of manifested itself was that uh, by the time I, you know, was 19, 20 years, years old, I was performing on stage because I, I had, I'm convinced, and I say this in sleepwalk with me and I've said it before, but it's like, I can't wait I'm to convinced get to that, that to be a, to be a performer, you have to be a little bit delusional. You mm-hmm. have to convince yourself it's going well when it's not going well. Otherwise you just wouldn't do it again early on because early on you're just not that good. And I think that that's one of the big differences yeah. that Joe and I have. Joe doesn't have that thing. He doesn't have the thing in him that that's delusional. That's like this is going well yeah. when yeah. it's not. Yeah. In does fact, he? Does he? T- Joe, do you tell him? Or you're no, like, dude. So it's I'll give you not a perfect example. Well. <laughs> early on, early on, I met Mike in New York when I still was in corporate America. I still dress like I'm in corporate America. But, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say you got Pfizer written all over you. <laughs> so early on, Mike is performing. I'm I'm in the corporate world, but I'm seeing Mike on the at his shows as he's starting trying to pick up some steam. And I go see him in a hotel lobby on like 17th Street <laughs> in Manhattan. And it's funny because there have to be you know four or five comedians. And actually, I remember Dimitri Martin was one of the comedians. And there were about 11 audience members. Okay, <laughs> so almost as many uh, audience members as comedians. And the set does not go well. Mike's running his usual stuff. This is many, you know, 17, 18 years ago. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm really going to have to cheer this guy up afterwards and, and encourage him. <laughs> and we get out on the, on the sidewalk. I've never, like, heard, I've never heard this story. We I get out on the sidewalk, and he's just like, 
well, this went well, this is going to work, this is per. I'm like, what, uh, what audience were you watching that I was not watching during that set? And he was right, yeah. you know, what and he show had, were and he was you in? <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but are you, but you're okay saying to Mike, hey, it wasn't good. Like, you have to understand. No, I, was, I was not going to say that. And I, I you were not. Said that. No, I was going to try to help his ego and just you know, be positive. Oh, but I didn't, I didn't need were. to be positive because he was already so delusional about the set. But can but can you be upfront and straight up and honest with him and just tell him point blank, dude, you're a really funny guy, but this is that did not work. Um just generally, can you it's, can you have that now in twenty in twenty twenty one? Sure. Yeah, yeah. You got to pick your spots and you know give feedback in the right way. And some when he mm. wants feedback, some things work. So it's better to tell him what's working, right? And then you push. push but, would you say, but Mike? Mike, would you want Joe to tell you? I mean, would you want him to be straight up with you, or do you yeah, like the I, way he handles you? <laughs> Well, I view feedback, I mean, so much of what I do is feedback, right? When you when you write and perform your own autobiographical work, you're yeah. hearing what the audience is saying, you're hearing what your brother's saying, you're hearing what mm -hmm. your director's saying, and you sort of take in all the feedback and you have to look at it through the bias of where they're coming from. So like with Joe, for example, like Joe is, Joe is, airs, Joe's extremely, you know, witty, you know, super smart, uh, like, has a great sense for story but he's also my brother and so like i reveal a lot of my shows are confessional i'm talking about mm -hmm. my parents yeah. i'm talking about my, my relationships with my ex-girlfriend or this or that and it's like it cuts very close to the bone like if you watch my shows it's like there's not that much that's so different from my journal you know what i mean like it's it, it, it but it has jokes in it but it's also very personal and so I, I have to know that Joe, one of Joe's biases on his criticism is always like, like, he'll be like, I'd pull back on saying that, you know, and it's like, I have to be like, you know, I, I Joe, I, I hear you. I know you don't want me to say that as my brother, but I'm just going to have to push ahead with it or get opinions from like my director, That's for fair. example, or, or like Ira Glass or, because or like our other dad, people who we work with. Because our dad will see the set. And he won't complain to Mike. He'll call me. And be like, why did he say that? Why is he out there saying this oh, thing? Man. And I'm just like, you know, you have you have Mike's number. I can put you through. You know, <laughs> call. I can't control you're, him. You're like I do the my buffer. Best. Is there anything off limits though? You know, I mean, is is uh, do you Mike? Do you just let it fly? Or are there things you're like, well, no, I, I can't talk about that. Or Joe's saying, hey, bud, you know, I know you like to cut to the bone, but let's not say that. Well, typically, I, I, um, Joe, if you notice, like in my last special on Netflix, it's called The New One. And it's all about deciding to have a child, even though I never want to have a child. And there's a point at which uh, Joe's, I say, Joe, uh, you know, what is it like, you know, having kids? Because he has two kids and um, he has two kids and, and he gets, you know, he gets this sort of glassy look in his eyes and he just says, it's relentless. <laughs> and, uh, and like, that's a true thing that he mm -hmm. said, but we do this thing where we, if you notice in the shows, we tend to err on the side of like Joe being a character who mm. says a lot of the things that in a movie, like a counselor character would say, or like a best friend character would say. And as, because we, because Joe and I work through it together, we know that He's comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with it and that kind of thing. When it comes to other people who are like a, th a third party to these things, I try to vet them through everybody, yeah. which sometimes gets me into trouble. Like 
I if I don't vet them, like on my podcast, Working It Out, I had David Sedaris on and I told him this story about my sister, my sisters like partying in high school. Yeah. And then I get a call from Gina and she's like, uh, <laughs> hey, my daughter is uh, a teenager and uh, I don't really think that I want her to find out about me partying like on your podcast talking to David Sedaris. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver, you were asking, though, about, like, feedback. And uh, one early one that really turned a little – this is a – I don't know if I've mentioned this to you in a while, Mike. turns kind of funny. Is that 15 years ago, Mike and uh, a creative partner of his really wanted to produce a show about a comedy sketch show set in prison, right? And I was Oh, yeah. And I was was just, like, not feeling it. Like, his pitches, I was like, "Eh, you know – the prison industrial complex and like the prison population is a very sensitive topic. And like, it's just not a, a great source for comedy. You know, it's not. So I was, I sort of shut down on it. He t- takes the show to comedy central, the pitch. And they say, Mike, we really want to work with you, but we don't want that show, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> but the, other, the strangest twist though, to the story is cut to 13 years later. And Genji calls him to be on Orange is the New Black, which is, yeah, a, that's right. you know, yeah. which is a show set in prison with comedic sensibilities and, you know, human, very human stories. Yeah. Of yeah. That. So yeah. that was just a strange twist. Wow. Well, but yeah. that's that's the nature, I feel like, of our town anyway. It's like, you know, the, the good ideas are usually the ones that kind of they're on the edge and everyone's so scared to do, you yes. know, anything that might people might turn against them and Mm -hmm. so they're very quick to say no until something comes along with someone that they feel like they can't say no to like genji Mm. who's just a genius you know and and, i had that kid i had that with i I had that with um transparent like they they called me about transparent and i was like and it wasn't the, the 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 script itself that i didn't connect with it was um it's gonna be on the bookseller website right (laughs) <laughs> right. I like, swear to God. I was like, like it's going to be on Amazon.com? Like, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm very busy. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Yeah, it's, uh, it's true, though. I mean, I get that. You know, it's like, what? Yeah. Yes. You you talk a lot in your in your work about Catholicism and growing up Catholic, and your mom. There, you you kind of told this story about how your your mom, um, how why you like why you ne- were like no to religion. You know, I can't I can't follow this. Yes. Based on your mom's experiences with it. Well, yeah, I, I I tell this joke sometimes, or I told this joke in Sleepwalk with me, which is that I was an altar boy as a kid, and the answer is no, uh, I wasn't, and I think it's because they knew I was a talker. I had that look about me, but I, I, my experience with, I have two negative experiences with Catholicism. One is, of course, that which is the abuse of the Catholic Church, which, um, you know, is extraordinarily well uh, sort of documented in uh, Spotlight, uh, Tom yeah. McCarthy's film, and which which crushed me. I mean, that film just absolutely mm. crushed me because I was lucky enough uh, to, to, you know, to not be assaulted, but but statistically, I know that many people were around me, and, and it was devastating to, to find that out, you know, to, to see that dramatized on the screen. 
And then the other thing is that, yeah, at a certain point, my mom said to me when she was uh, sick at the time, fortunately, she, she, you know, she got better, that she was worried that she was going to go to hell. And I just mm-hmm. thought, gosh, I anything. And my mom is so extraordinarily generous and kind and Christian in the true sense of the word, which is... Uh, has been bastardized to some degree, um, but in the is, is truly a Christian person and generous and and uh, giving, and the idea that she would be think for a second that she would be the person who would go to hell to me, I was just like I'm out, I'm out on this. Yeah, there's no, mm-hmm. yeah. What what's wrong with this sort of construct that my mom could ever think that she's gonna go? Yeah, yeah. We were raised with a bit quite a healthy dose of the Catholic guilt. Yeah, we just were. Mm-hmm. And is are are your parents still religious? And is are your siblings religious? My my mom still is. Uh, my mom still goes to church. My dad, um, I think would would say that mm-hmm. he he is. <laughs> I, don't, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what his. <laughs> right. I don't, I, I'm not going to check his attendance record on uh, <laughs> Sundays, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think you know, and then and then the siblings, I think are. Maybe a, maybe a little less so, but you know, to some degree, I, yeah. I'm pretty much I'm pretty much out. I'm pretty much out. You had five years left alone when your brother left. Five years apart in a school sense is a lot of years. So you're like in eighth grade and your seventh grade, and your brother's leaving, right? It was a little after that, but yeah. Was ninth that grade, just devastating to you? I mean, wh- who did you have to run around with, and what was like? I mean, everybody was gone. Yeah, that I you know it's so funny, Kate. I haven't thought about that in so long, but yeah, that was that was a strange thing. Joe went to Middlebury College in Vermont, and he became like completely immersed in uh, <laughs> writing for the college satire paper, which is, was was called the Krampus, which is a parody of the campus, and uh, and <clears throat> yeah, I yeah I think my high school became. Gosh, when I when I think back on it, it just became so I became so uh, uh, tunnel visioned uh, on succeeding enough in high school, in in school enough to sort of whatever, get into a Mm -hmm. good college or whatever. And I I get I I guess I never registered that. But but high school was high school was tough. I mean, I think about that, you know, the. My last show, the new one, is all about like all the reasons I never want to have a child uh, before I had a child, and and one of them was just imagining having a child go through what I went through in high school, which is this mm. extreme sense of like pressure and how am I gonna do all of these things that are that people expect of me, and and I, yeah, I I just I don't have like super fond memories of high school. I have I have fonder memories of college, I think. I would, I would have thought, I mean, I would think, but I guess maybe you didn't experience that, but that it would just feel a little lonely that your family, yeah. you know, that, the, that everybody was gone and in their college experience or out of college and working and. Yeah. I was just thinking about this the other day, but I, I don't have that many, I have that, I don't have that many friends from high school. Mm. I was going to say, Mike, I think really threw him, but you also threw yourself into high school, you know, theatrical performances Soccer teams. Uh, ten- he was a very Mike was a very com- good, strong uh, tennis player. He was just like, really he was, like I like to tell my kids like that I want our family to be a family of doers. Like Mike and I and our siblings, we were like doers. We were, like joiners. We did things, filled up. We do better when we really fill up our schedules. Mm-hmm. 
So when you started performing, that was in college, not in high school. Yeah, although I I did like little bit parts in plays in high school, uh, basically because it was uh, the classes were easy. Right. <laughs> like, like the drama class in high school is the easiest, the oh, easiest so, possible yeah. class. Like it's I, so so unsubstantial. Oh, that 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 back. Oh my that god! Backfired. Don't that, say that. That backfired. <laughs> That backfired on me because in college I went to Bol- I went to Boulder for yeah. two years and then I was out of there. But my sophomore year I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna take drama and I'm yeah. I just gonna get an easy A or whatever. I, I ended up getting like a D minus <laughs> and and it was crazy. I mean we were rolling around on the floor and something yeah. called a small ball roll. Sure, there it you was go. Just, it was so far from what drama was at least in my head. Yeah, and. And and I got a D minus. I became an actor a few <laughs> years later. I got my first television show where I was the lead. I was like the star of it called My Guide to Becoming a Rock Star for the WB. I was in like Vanity Fair and I had all these articles and you know all the bullshit. I I comprised the clippings. I sent it to Boulder and said thanks for the D minus. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. You're such wow. An asshole. You're such, that's such a weird <laughs> That's hilarious. It is. Yeah, he, he, he wrote me back. He was cool. He was like, congratulations. Or oh, my God. Oliver, I got my Helix. Oh, you did. Congratulations. I got it, and I love it. We love it. We love it. You, we love it. It's a great mattress. Wasn't it fun opening it? Where it was it's like... <laughs> I know. It's like it expands. so thin and then it's like you open it it's like yeah. you know a completely different um mattress. Yeah, it's a great mattress. It, it's it's really simple. You you take 2 minute you take a 2 minute quiz and it matches your body type and sleep preference to the perfect mattress for you. So, you know, if if it's really soft or if you like really soft or firm or you sleep on your side or your back or your stomach or you sleep hot you know, with Helix, there's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique tastes. I got paired with the with the uh, Midnight Lux. That was my that was my jam. Midnight Lux sounds like my vibe on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, but Helix listen, was awarded you'd... the number. Oh God. I was going to say, you don't need to take our word for it, but what were you going to say, Oliver? Oh, oh because... right after that, I was I, I was going to say that Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Yes, and you have a 10-year warranty. Um, you also get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. Yeah, and they'll pick it up if you don't love it. <laughs> but you will. Don't worry. You don't even worry about that part. Um, Helix is offering up to $200 off of all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash sibling. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash sibling for up to $200 off. All right, Oliver, let's discuss article... It is a furniture, online furniture company. It combines the uh, a curation of like boutique furniture store with the comfort and simplicity of actually shopping online. So the styles and the things that you're getting from Article are awesome. You've tried it. Yeah. I've tried it. We both have 
things from it's in this my house. company. Mm-hmm. Yep, as we speak, beautifully crafted pieces, quality materials. It's it's durable. It's sort of modern design aesthetic, mid-century Scandinavian-ish, industrial bohemian. That's a lot of mash all those things together, (laughs) right? Just mash them together, but it's true. Out pops articles. It really is what they are. I mean, that is. I mean, if if you're gonna say what is it? It's mid-century Scandinavian industrial bohemian is exactly what it feels like when you go on there. And I honestly, what that says to me as someone who loves design is that it will fit in any house. So if you're looking for a really great coffee table or a side table, like they have these beautiful little side tables or one of the things I like to do, and it's, it's, it's kind of a nice inexpensive way to add a really pretty accent into your home. And also if you've got small spaces is use side tables as your coffee table. Um, and they have these really, really cute side tables, uh, a couple of them that I think are really great for any, any, uh, um, style of house. And for the quality, for the quality, the prices are just amazing. And, and the way yeah, they're that they're able prices. to do this, okay, is they, they cut out the middleman and they sell directly to you. So there's no showrooms, there's no, no salespeople, and there's no retail markups. So you you're you're saving, basically saving about 30% yeah. of your traditional Yeah, 30% price. off. It's pretty damn good. Um, fast, affordable shipping. Is available across Free the USA and Canada. Over any orders, $999 or yeah, just over watch is free that shipping. Dollar. Um, article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. So go to article.com slash sibling, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash sibling to get $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. what you have to bring to the table every night having to connect. I mean, it's just, I think it's the hardest, most like relentless. It's almost like torture. I don't know how you guys do it sometimes, you know, well, he does. It. Part, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Part of, <laughs> you know, I, it's like part, part, but part of the reason, uh, that we even have our production company, um, is that, like I would say, what 2008, 12 years ago, 2008 is or 13 years ago, I had a failed uh, CBS sitcom pilot based on my life. It was like the Untitled Mike Birbiglia project, and it was one of those things where, and I and I think there's even movies about this plot line basically, which is like you bring your personal story to like a, a network in a studio, and then it churns through the machine of Hollywood. And then by the time the pilot is filmed, it's like <laughs> someone else's life. And you're like, like oh, I this? shouldn't be the Mike Birbiglia project. It should yeah. be someone else's name. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, what you're is like, happening? who am I? Who <laughs> like less, am I? <laughs> it's like Les Moonves's uh, love interest is playing opposite Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so then like, and, and so then part in some ways that doubled us down on our company because what, I came back from Hollywood and I was like, after living there for what, two months or something and just was like, Oh, I'm never doing that again. Mm. Like I'm never making a sitcom based on my life. I'm never doing anything where there's a studio or network involved with deciding what I'm, uh, what my personal output is. That's autobiographical. And actually to this day, I would never do that. I we've really, you've stuck to that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we've made our company, 
has made uh, two independent features, Sleepwalk With Me and Don't Think Twice. We made four off-Broadway shows, Sleepwalk With Me, My Girlfriend's Boyfriend, Thank God for Jokes, and the new one, which went to Broadway two years ago. And everything that we do is in-house because I had such a repulsive reaction (laughs) to people creating a narrative for me because I was just like, this is not worth it. Like, I don't even want to be in show business if people are going to invent their own narrative for what my life is. I always say, too, you know, it's also like the creative and the commerce don't really have a very good marriage. No. No. Oh, no. You know, and I think it's a very hard time for for most stand-ups right now because it's there's such a pressure cooker of sensitivity. Yeah, there's something right now which is odd, which is that stand-up already had the uh, feedback loop of getting uh, feedback from an audience. Oh, okay, they don't like it. Let me try something else, et cetera. But now it has the added feedback loop of the internet and Twitter and social mm-hmm. media in this way that, like, it's almost overwhelming for the art form because... Because actually, like, you know, let's say 10 people tweet about something that they're angry about. Well, there's millions of people on Twitter. So so the amount of people who are upset about that joke or this or that is 0.0001. And in, in nor you know, when I started 20 years ago, you wouldn't clock 0.0001 <laughs> of an audience reaction and go, well, I guess that's what I'll... Keep that's an right. eye. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's what George Carlin said something to that effect, which is like, there's 300 million Americans or whatever. I only need to appeal to uh, you know, half of a percent, you know? <laughs> right. To, yeah. to like, to yeah. buy into what I'm doing, to have a career. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I used no, to- it's true. I used to run into George Carlin's at, at, at breakfast all the time and he'd sit there alone and I'd just stare at him like, I, <laughs> I love, he's my favorite. I love him. It's so um, funny because you also, I heard you on Conan's podcast- and uh, Kate, and uh, it's so funny you that you also run into Conan in your All neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Conan, I think, is one of the funniest people on the planet. Didn't you uh, work with Conan? I, we, Joe, and I both interned for Conan. Uh, yeah, uh, when we were in college at separate times, I was a control room intern, and Joe was just a production intern. He's the best. He he is yeah. so funny. Like underrated sort of funny sneaky funny but not i mean he's just so fucking funny but before i, I want to get into this the, the you know anxiety and and depression i know i'm bringing it down but i think it's important and how when you started dealing with this how you decided to turn that into sort of art in a sense yeah. and then even now and moving forward sort of how that plays into your life and and, and your career I think one of the, uh, the the most momentous thing that occurred in terms of my mental health was that and when I was, I think, about 25 years old, I had a sleepwalking incident uh, that I made a movie about. I wrote a book about, uh, but it's um, a, about how I, I sleepwalked through a second-story window on tour in uh, Walla Walla, Washington at a La Quinta Inn. And, uh, La Quinta Inn. And uh, it's it was an extraordinary thing to happen. Um I told it, I, you know, I told the story on This American Life, and um, that's sort of how I met Ira Glass, and, and he and I started working together as well. And and it was, I don't know, it was just this thing where uh, this really extraordinary thing happened because I had so much kind of bubbling up inside of me, and I wasn't dealing with, you know, something, uh, you know, physiological sleepwalking, but also psychological, having to do with anxiety, and uh, and it sort of, 
crescendoed with jumping through this window and it became the, the source of uh, a lot of art. And it sort of actually in some ways broke open my comfort in telling personal stories because at first I was like, well, I don't want to talk about this because people are going to think that I'm insane. <laughs> I remember when it happened. I remember, I remember when I jumped through the window, I remember thinking, you know, I ended up in the emergency room. They put, you know, 33 stitches in my legs and my arms and, and, uh, you know, the glass, I, I went through it like the Hulk. I mean, the glass was Crazy. shattered and it was close to my, they took glass out of my legs at the emergency room in Walla Walla. And the doctor, uh, you know, he was like, you know, you should be dead. And he goes, the glass is an inch from, you know, a centimeter from my femoral artery. And if I, I would have bled out if I had hit there and I just died. Right. And, uh, as a writer, when something like that happens, there's a part of you that just goes, well, I'm going to talk about this eventually. <laughs> either, either, either as me or it's going to be a character that does this or whatever it is. Um, but, but it did take me like, I'd say probably six months to feel comfortable like saying, yeah, yeah, I'll throw this on stage and I'll, I'll see how this goes. I was in Montreal Comedy Festival and there was a show called Confessing It. It was myself and... Kathleen Madigan, Doug Stanhope, and a handful of other comedians. And I told that story. I think it was the first time I told that story on stage. And it was a it was a really interesting experience because the audience wasn't just laughing. They were sort of enthralled mm. with, like, what's going to happen next? You know, mm. how does this story end? And that was, like, a huge uh, a pivot, you know, pivotal moment for me because I was like, oh, I want to do this, which is tell stories more then I I want to just uh, tell jokes. Do you feel like talking about it and and actually creating art from it helps just on a personal level dealing with depression and anxiety? I think so. I mean, it's certainly. Uh, I mean, th th it's funny because whenever you do autobiographical work, it's always straddling that line of like therapy versus mm. art. Therapy versus art. And I think that for me it's easier to navigate that than other art forms because if they laugh, it's art. If they don't laugh, it's therapy. <laughs> 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 I think that should be a quote. We need yeah, that. that just, we need <laughs> but it really is like this weird thing where it's like yeah. Joe, Joe and I really spend a lot of time making sure that there are jokes that punctuate the stories all throughout and uh, and it'll go, you know, it, it it goes, you know, it goes very dark. I talk about how I was once hit by a drunk driver in my car. How I, you know, I jumped through a second story window, how I was, um, you know, how I did, never wanted to have a child. And then I had a child. I mean, these really sort of like dark thoughts, dark feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, I believe strongly about that, that, that that's sort of where the best comedy, the best comedy lies, or at least I should say. That's where my favorite comedy lies. That, that those are the mm -hmm. comedians I like to watch. It's a lot of calibration, mm -hmm. a lot of calibration because Mike will tell a very riveting story, but then the the, the joke and the punchline sort of deflate tension, right? So it's like yeah, yeah. Mike's like inflating a balloon, and then we pop it, and then we inflate it, and so I don't know. It's it's a fun exercise, and Mike is, uh, you know, Mike leads leads that. Siblings that work together. What do you guys think the other's superpower is as a team? <laughs> Maybe you can start, Joe. I have a I have a lot of answers, but but 
maybe you start. Uh, Mike has a number of superpowers. Um, <laughs> you know, he's excellent performer, writer. He handles, I don't know, he's extremely ambitious. He's, I don't, gosh. Well, what's a, the secret? I guess what's the secret sauce? You know what I mean? Like, how, wh- how do you guys work well together? Like, what is it about the two of you as siblings? Because that can go, that can go fucking south. You know, how do you maintain? I, how do you here's maintain how I, here's order? Here's how I here's how I would put it in a nutshell. Um, I this is me in a nutshell. <laughs> I, I but I well I've never really had this question. That's why it's actually yeah, like it's, hard. It's, it's valuable for even for Joe and I. To, to talk out as an exercise therapy. Hopefully there's a this joke. This is free, free therapy. Uh, yeah. uh, hopefully we'll find some jokes in this. But, uh, but, but, but I would describe myself as uh, I work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and, and it is all over the place. And, and anything can happen and I can spin out. And I think that Joe is five days a week and he's a very focused and very effective. And I think that the, the combination of those two elements create something that work, just works for whatever reason. That mm. makes sense. You're the structure, Joe. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a little more balanced left brain, right brain. Like I like Joe and I had to have a discussion like a, probably five, six years ago where Joe goes, um, could you uh, not email me over the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> well, the email's like that, right? Email and text, like when you're in a working capacity, like yeah. you need this now. You know. Yeah. Boundaries, yeah. boundaries, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm learning those and w- now. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning them now. It's tough. And what's your spin out? What's your spin out moment? Like when you're just, what, what is this? It's just too much in your brain. There's just too much shit going on and, and you just, you're like, oh, I can't deal. Yeah, it's sporadic, which is to yeah. say that which is to say that I'm always writing or consuming or being a dad or or doing whatever I'm doing and then I my energy levels are not uh sometimes not focused. So like mm-hmm. I'll just be like <laughs> working a mile a minute and then I must sleep on the couch. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. like I'm just gone, you know, and And that's hard, you know, like when I'm working as an actor, like on Billions or Orange is the New Black, I actually have to adopt more of what Joe has, which is like a focus, like, you know, when you got to hit your mark, you got to hit your mark and know your lines. Like it's much more focused. Even when I'm directing a movie, it's like much more focused. What what Mm. about your wife? Like, how does your (laughs) wife deal with this? Oh, she left. She's no, no. She's around. She's around. I mean, that's she's a she's a she's a poet, and and she and I. We did a, a book adaptation of the show, um, the new one, which is, uh, so it, the subtitle is Painfully True Stories of a Reluctant Dad with Poems by J-Hope Stein. And it sort of mm. interweaves her poetry about the, 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 the mother point of view of the same experience as the father point of view. And it interweaves and it's, it's, it's I, I think it's really lovely and we're very cool. proud of it. But because she's a poet, I think she a hundred percent gets that side of it. Uh, right. I think poets have share that in common with comedians. Poets and comedians are not all that all that dissimilar. dissimilar yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like um, sometimes Jen and I need a Joe in our life to uh, <laughs> yes. to make sure that someone yes. pays the electric bill so that uh, so that I, uh, the, the, oh, I like to re- I like to refer to myself as the adult in their marriage. 
Oh, this is <laughs> perfect. <laughs> you found the perfect partner. You can. That's so great. You're a counselor. You're the marriage And counselor. Joe, are you married? I am, yes. I'm uh, almost 20 years, and I have two sons, 14 and 12. Okay, so you're like in the, you're in the, you're like really in the teenage. I'm in the thick yeah. of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, at 14 and 12 now, my, my, my children are sort of confused about my job. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> just like my dad, just like our dad. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what do you do all day? Are your parents better grandparents than they were kids? I mean, were oh, yeah. to you kids? Well, your parents. Parents? Yeah. A hundred percent. So they're I more think. present? Yeah. I think so. What do you think, Joe? They were at, I my, mean, house. They were they were at my house yesterday, yesterday. for yeah. Mother's Day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're very engaged, and especially once the you know. I think parents and grandparents sometimes they have a, an age of the child where they lock in a little more, like uh-huh. that they relate mm-hmm. to. It's like, yeah, you know, call me when you're 13, and we can talk about math, <laughs> or you yeah. know, something that's a little more sophisticated. Yeah, and I think yeah. I, I'm seeing that with my dad, with my older son. He's he's getting more locked in now that you know he's in high school. It's, uh, more sophisticated things they can talk about. What about Mike? When you know you have one kid, uh, obviously you talk about sort of not wanting children and then wanting a kid or having a kid. Coming from you know a family with four siblings, and how important the sibling relationship and dynamics are, are you at all interested in creating another little being for your child <laughs> to have a sibling? Uh, that there's a line in the new one where I say our daughter. His name is Una, which means one, as in we're only having one. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, that's sort of where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> but she has a lot of friends. She's very social. She's a social animal. Like her, yeah, like her yeah. She, yeah, she loves, loves other kids. Yeah. I, um, I want to get to our speed round. Okay. Because this usually takes longer than just a speed round. <laughs> this is the it's, second it's, hour it's, it's of, never, our, yeah, yeah. of our podcast. <laughs> It's never speedy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One word to describe the other. Sharp. Um, generous. So Mike said oh. Joe is sharp, and Joe said Mike is generous. <laughs> One word to describe your relationship. Uh, cl- <laughs> oddly close. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're not allowed to say fraternal, are you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I would say, it, well, it's two words, but I would say positive friction. Mm. <laughs> that's a good that's one. That's like, like me that. and Ollie. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Positive well, friction is like good. It. I like positive friction. It's like it a name like of a, a band. A, a book, a book, or a band. It's like a band. Yeah, a band. <laughs> right? We're gonna go, I'm going to go see Well, you know, but you know that, that there's this great book that I'll recommend by Adam Grant called Think Again. And it's all about how um, conflict, positive conflict in a work situation creates ultimately a better result. Mm-hmm. It's only when something that's 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 becomes work uh, becomes personal conflict mm. where you're taking personal attacks of the person that it becomes negative. Yeah. Mm. Who's the biggest hypochondriac? Think me. Think, oh, that'd be Mike. I think, Very COVID I think it's me. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Really? He was like at an 11. He was at an 11 during the pandemic, <laughs> and I was like a four or five. <laughs> you know, safe, it's but not yeah. even close. 
Joe was like, I'm going over to the YMCA pool. You want to come? I'm like, yeah, in 2027. Like, <laughs> <laughs> then I'm going to Chipotle. Then I'm going, you know, oh my live God. my life. Well, we're, you know, we're, we're performers. We're, our body is our instrument, and we don't want to have a long hauler tuba for the rest of our lives. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Um, who, uh, who gossips the most? Ooh. I think Joe does. I think Joe does. <laughs> I think me. I think me. <laughs> You like a little bit Joe, of gossip with the sims, Joe, with we, the siblings. We have, yeah, we have to. Lo- I have to lock Joe down sometimes because he gossips too much. <laughs> I, what did I get I locked do, down I, on? I've had some fumbles. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Joe's had Joe's had some fumbles over the years where I have to call him and be like, uh, "This got back to me that you said this, and <laughs> it's kind of crazy, and like you shouldn't say that." Yeah. <laughs> So you're the one that like nobody really like they'll tell you if they know that they want everybody to know in the family. But really, yes. if it's yeah, the back channels, it's all about back channels. Uh, the family back channel <laughs> shit is so crazy. Oh, my God. I, it's so insane. It's so funny. It's important uh, in business and in family. What, what do you guys fight about the most if you were to pick something like that just causes the most tension? Not money. Not money. <laughs> no, no, really. That's true. It's true. I think it's the I mm, per, personalness of material, right, Joe? We don't really fight about that. Um, we don't have a lot of fights. Well, what about we had, what about what? We had one. We had one fight. Okay, we had one fight this winter over the virtual shows. Can I say this? Oh yeah, it's funny. It's funny. We were doing, we were doing virtual shows, and but we did them in Joe's office because it was the biggest office that we had, and it had the most ability to have equipment. You know, we lit. We did like a four camera shoot in Joe's office, and so we sort of took Mm. over his office and made it like a TV studio. And Mm. um, at one point, um, he had. Moved some C stands or some things yeah, like that. Yeah, why did that. I do that? And why did I do that? Because it's your office. My it's job great. was to get a fully decorated set, <laughs> painted a different color, and move everything hey. back in the exact same spot. Okay, which is why you mark. Which is why you market. That's why you got to market. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real fight. This and is the last. Yeah. That's not that often to have a fight. That it was wasn't like six that big months ago. Yeah. What? How long did tame. the fight last? Five that minutes. was literally five minutes. It was yeah. five minutes. Yeah. Joe snapped at me. I understood what he, why he was I mad. Said, Fuck off. There's a pandemic. I don't give a shit about your lighting kit right. that is off by three inches. Right. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> I love that. Yeah. But we got we got through that. We weathered that one. Who ends up apologizing more? I apologize much more than Joe. Joe, I think, has an apology policy that is like. Ooh. He doesn't like to apologize that much as a policy. And I am much more, I apologize like 15 times in two minutes without even realizing I said I'm okay. sorry. That's fair. I think that's mm-hmm. one thing I learned though in corporate America was like a, an apology can be a sign of weakness in a business setting. So you want to mm-hmm. be very careful with the apologies. You, The other person better really deserve that apology because <laughs> I feel it's a little bit of weakness. I don't know. Yeah. What do you guys think you stress out about most? Like, what's your what's the stressor in each other's in your life? It's 
such, I mean, everything, just everything all the time is so stressful. Um, <laughs> you mean in the business, in the business or like the, like the other night, for example, like I did my first outdoor show the other night in Connecticut and I had nightmares all night, which were classic actors nightmare, which is I'm on stage. I don't remember my jokes or stories. Mm-hmm. And that dream lasted as far as I could. F- it felt like it lasted 10 hours. You were you mm. were actually performing as you were dreaming. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. I, think, I think our classic worry, or at least m- maybe mine is, because I'm like two kids, house in the suburbs, two dogs, mm-hmm. is, you know, I've been working with Mike for 15 years. And how long can we keep these plates spinning? You know, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's yeah. really cool. So, you know, we do a lot of long-range planning, but it's entertainment. You can only plan so far. And, you know. that, that's, yeah. that's another corporate part of you. You're, you're sort of like, you're, you're thinking what's the end game? An artist is like, death, what do you mean? Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, that's what my whole new show like, is about, literally. <laughs> it's funny. I, about, I have one funny story about when we were early on in Mike's career. When I, was th- I brainstormed this story today. We were, I was trying to coach Mike on how to begin his career. He was opening. He was traveling around Columbus, Ohio, Cincinnati, opening, making like 250 bucks a week. And I said, Mike, what you can do is you can register in temp agencies in the various cities. So when you're there for the week, you can get some light filing, you know, get eight hours, you know, book 30 hours of clerical work to pay your bills and then Mm -hmm. do comedy in the evening. And Mike says to me, he's like, Joe, that's the stupidest fucking idea I've ever heard of. There's no way I'm doing that. And as soon as he said it, I was like, oh yeah, he's right. That is a stupid idea. Like that's, that's not what you do. Uh, no. That's funny. <laughs> Do you remember that conversation, Mike? No, that's hilarious. Though. I'm writing that down. That'll be in the next book. That's what is funny. the most rebellious moment you had as kids? Oh, I mean, this is this puts me in the territory of getting in trouble with my sister Gina because she'll say you shouldn't tell stories like this yeah. that my 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 daughter and son can hear. Um I just think like the biggest thing for me is like thinking about how like I would tell my parents like I hate them and I was like mm. smoking pot or doing all these things that like net looking back I'm like that was very dangerous what I was doing yeah. actually like I remember like walking home from a party that was on like an island <laughs> where like I was like walking along the highway and I remember and I was like stoned and I remember seeing like a like a drunk driver, almost like in a movie, just swerving back and forth. Like it's pitch dark and I'm just seeing the lights go swerve, swerve. And I literally, I didn't know what to do. I dove off the highway and tumbled (laughs) down a hill, tumbled down a hill and I lost my Birkenstock. I had Birkenstock. (laughs) And and I I look back and I go, I'm so stupid. Stupid! Like, why would I do that? So the things we do when we're in high school—they're yeah. so stupid. Yeah. So and, stupid. and it scares me for my child. You know. Well, I have a great one, which is about my our our other uh, sibling is Patty. I visited Patty at 18 years old up at Colgate University with a friend of mine. Went to rugby practice, played rugby with a women's rugby team, had the best time, sang songs, got extremely drunk, and then for some reason they thought it would be fun to have a BB gun. Oh my gosh. And my friend Seth and I (laughs) aimed at a bar across the street all night long and shot at cars and the windows of this bar. Unbelievable. My sister Mm -hmm. gets arrested the next day. (laughs) 
and my parents. Because no. she took the because she took the rap for it. She took we the rap a, for it, so I wouldn't have yeah. to drive five hours back to Hamilton, New York. Aww. And we, she never was at. I mean, she was kind of mad because she had to do like a hundred hours of community service. But the fact that we're still quite tight today is. Uh, oh my god! Just wow. took the rap for you. Can I just say something? I would never have done that for Oliver. Ever. <laughs> no way. Ever. And I would have I been shot like, out windows too. You're, you know what? I don't I care did. how long you go to jail. Okay, oh I am yeah. not taking the rap yeah. for you. A hundred hours of community service. Jesus. Yeah. First celebrity crush. Oh wow. I had so many. I mean, I'm trying to think of what the age group was when I was even thinking about. Hmm. Joe, what's yours? I, I, I'm going to say Winona Ryder. Oh, that's oh, a really good one. Yeah, the, that like Beetlejuice yeah. era. Oh my yeah. God. Winona Ryder, oh my yes. God. yes. Reality yes. Bites. Reality Bites. Yes. Reality Bites. I mean. Yeah. I used to love Winona Ryder, too. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, that's a really good one. I, I, I'll, yeah, I agree one. with Joe. I agree with Joe. Um, okay, so last but never least. Mm-hmm. Ollie, you want to ask the qu- last questions? Sure, we ask we asked this to everybody. So it's sort of a two-part question. First part being, what is that thing that if you could alleviate from your brother, just to take away <laughs> from their life, what would that be to make their life a little bit better? On the flip side of that, know. what would you take from your brother that they have that you wish that you had? Yeah, like as what part would you, you want you to emulate more of, you know? Oh, well, That's first pretty- of all, the thing I would say, Mike, if you don't mind. No, I'll go ahead. Jump ahead. The thing I would definitely take away from Mike is some of his workload. Like, I wish I could go on stage for him in some of these places because he, he puts so much upon himself and I can't do that. So a lot mm. of my job running the business is like, what can I take off his plate? Mm. And, you know, because I know he's work. He does work so hard. Yeah. And then my first part for Joe, for Joe would be just, I would just alleviate the stress because mm. a lot of times I feel like, like stress in terms of like the two year, the five year, the 10 year picture of everything. I'm always like, I always want to say like, Joe, like we'll be fine. Like we have like plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, like they're all fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Plan plan, E involves Las Vegas. Right. I was going to say, what's plan E? (laughs) (laughs) And what's the other part of the question? (laughs) What would you like to emulate? What would you, what would, a a quality that your brother has that you wish you had more of? Mm. Joe has a, Joe has a, um, a thirst for, uh, for living sort of a, a balanced and fruitful, like exciting life as though it was it, it, that's that's to the point of being artful. He has mm. an artful approach to his life, existence, and family. Hmm. Cool. And um, Mike's thing that I wish I had is, uh, um, I think his his belief in himself to completely like start a project, do the middle of the project, do the end of the project sell the project like that determination is uh you know and, and self-belief is very admirable mm. and, and, and functions at a very high level and is a testament to how to the success of 
of him and of, and of our company. Beautiful. I love that. Oh, you guys, thanks for coming on <laughs> and talking about your life with us. Mm-hmm. That was a lot yeah. of fun. This is so fun. We Thank love you. it. Yeah. We love it. Thank and you, guys. Take care. Sibling Revelry is executive produced by Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson. Producer is Allison Bresnik. Editor is Josh Windish. Music by Mark Hudson, a.k.a. Uncle Mark. If you want to show us some love, rate the show and leave us a review. This show is powered by Simplecast. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.